0: Welcome to Thanks, It's the Trauma. I'm Dr. Alyssa, and this is a podcast with my friends, Nikki and Heidi. We're connected by a unique and unusual experience, and we talk about it and other traumas with honesty, booze, and cuss words. Season two, bonus episode, the story of a transgender woman, Jill. Thank you for
1: listening to our bonus episode, A Quick Disclosure. As you listen to the following episode, the voice of Jill has been disguised to protect her true identity. Thank you in advance for understanding and adjusting to the change in sound. Jill, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being with us this evening. We are so excited to have you. And for everybody listening, if you listen to episode one We pulled the audience on like, you know, what do you want to hear from us? How can we answer questions? And Jill wrote in and had some amazing questions and shared her own personal journey of being a transgender woman with us. And so we brought Jill on the podcast today because we wanted to give a different perspective and to hear about your life's work, your life's journey, and what it is like to be a transgender woman. So thank you, Jill, for being with Dr. Alyssa and Nikki and I today.
2: Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. It's a, a thrill to be with you.
1: And Jill, where should we start? You just let us know that you're an Enneagram nine. <laughs>
2: yes.
0: Just like me. Kindred mm-hmm. <laughs> spirits.
2: Mm-hmm. And a, a strong seven in addition to the nine there, I noticed when I, I looked at the numbers. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So tell us, how old are you and any key things that you think are unique and interesting aside from your gender?
2: Well, I'm I'm in my mid-60s. I've lived pretty much in the same area of the country all of my life, and I've been married for nearly 40 years. Those are a couple of key things to know about. In terms of what I've done during my career, It's it's been... Uh, Varied, but I would say uh, the focus is really on communications. A lot of what I've done during my career has been some relationship to uh, doing things with communications. Oh, the other thing, of course, I can't forget this. I have three adult daughters, so that's that's mm. obviously very important, and they're mm. all married, and all, all three of them have kids, so that's uh, another uh, very important part of my life. How old are they? Oh, let's see. Now you're going to make me think here for a second. 37 35 and 31 I believe.
1: Okay, that is a hard house right there <laughs> when uh they were in high school, I bet. <laughs>
2: yeah, I had one year where we had three teenage daughters. Uh, so, that was, that was quite the experience.
0: I'm <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Do they all live close to you?
2: One of them lives about 20 minutes away. The other two are out of state, so we can visit there. But it's, it's a definite trip to, to get up to, to see them.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So,
1: Jill, we're going to go on a journey with you tonight and hear about your whole story. But I think we should really just start at the very beginning. What's your earliest childhood memory of being a woman in a male body?
2: I would say I was four or five years old and I remember visiting my grandmother who lived just down the street from me. She was just a few doors away and sitting in front of her vanity, putting on her necklaces and makeup. Prob- I think the makeup was probably only like powder or something like that. It wasn't anything uh, fancy, but just sitting there and, and doing that. And she was wonderful. You know, she was encouraging. She probably thought it was a passing phase at that age. And that was one of the first things that that came to mind. Uh, Another couple of very early memories. One goes back to kindergarten. And back then, part of the kindergarten curriculum was finger painting. The teacher sent home a note saying that the kids should bring in an old shirt or blouse to protect their clothing while they were doing finger painting. And I guess my dad didn't have any old shirts, so my mom sent in an old blouse and I was fine with it. I, the first realization that I had that the buttons are on the opposite side, but it was also mm. the first time I had ever been bullied, if you will. The other kids, the boys would, why are you wearing a, a blouse for? And, and I kind of got the message to my mom that now I can't be uh, be doing it. I was thrilled to be doing it, but but mm. it was pretty apparent that that was not uh, the cool thing to do with, with your uh, classmates. And then the final one of early in my life was my best friends were, were girls at that age. And one of the girls who lived across the street from me, she had a, a fort that her, her dad had built for her in the backyard and her, her brother and her sister. And one day I convinced her that we should trade clothes. I don't remember what she was wearing. I don't know if it was a dress or a skirt, but we switched clothes for that day. Unfortunately, her older brother discovered us, which Again, wasn't too cool, but, <laughs> and that was my my earliest memory of being a girl. It's something that I've known about myself all of my life.
1: So I have a question about those memories. Are those memories that you have always had and they've always been there or were they buried and they were brought to your attention or to the surface through like adult experiences, therapy, anything like that?
2: No, I, I've always remembered those. I've remembered those. And, you know, I can think of things as I got, was an older child, as a teenager, young adult. So it's always been something and it's never been buried. Every so often, I'll remind myself of something that happened long ago that I kind of forgot, but I wouldn't say it was buried. It was probably just something that I didn't think about much anymore.
0: Can I ask, what emotions would you assign to those memories? now?
2: A few different ones, I think. And again, I realize I'm looking at this through the lens of 2021, but there's a regret that I didn't share this with my mom and dad at that age and Mm -hmm. let them know because, you know, I hear about so many young people who are trans and and how they've been able to at least socially transition at such a young age. So that's one of the things I think there can be a, a little bit of nostalgia for the innocence that that I had back then and you know not in a sense thinking that I was doing something wrong I probably even at a young age kind of had a hint that this had to be hidden from from other people right. but I think that that innocence was still there much more than obviously it was when I got a little bit older and I think uh there's even a little bit of feeling, well, I guess those are the main ones when I I get right down to it. Those two are are probably the ones that really come to mind.
3: I have a question going off of that. You're such an upbeat, perky, happy person, but you've been living this way for many, many, many years. What was the hardest time of your life when you were either accepting this or working through this? Because we all saw our husbands struggle and their darkest days. When did that happen for
2: you? Oh, I think in it probably, and this is probably true for most people, was junior high. Now it would be called middle school, but back then it was junior high, and kids are the just worst. meeting each other right. everywhere. <laughs> but for whatever reason, I must have sent off some signals that I was feminine because they would do things like push me into the girls' room. You know, We were changing classes, walking between classes, or you're carrying your books, and of course, boys have to carry their books by their side. So, mm-hmm. you know, trying to be a boy, I would carry my books by my side. But then they would come from someone would come from behind and smash the books out of your hand, and they go sprawling all over the floor, mm-hmm. and the notebook would fall open. So that was probably the worst of it. Was just that time where I knew that I was going to be picked on and learned how not to, uh, you know, how to hide it so that I wasn't picked on when I got a bit older.
1: Right. So it sounds like in middle school, is is this accurate, like where the repression of your true gender began, or would you say it was even earlier?
2: There's a mix of repression and acceptance, because even then, I remember telling my younger sister, she's six years younger than I am, telling her that I wished I was a girl. I happened to have a job, not one that I had even sought, but one of the things, and again, I always look at at life as as you have to look at the funny things in life and and find the humor in things. A friend of mine had a a job at a store in the downtown and he had to, his family had a house down the Jersey shore and he had asked if I would fill in for him for the summer. And I did and actually ended up taking the job from him, which wasn't the best thing for our friendship probably, (laughs) but it happened to be a women's clothing store. Now, my job was really just kind of being the janitor and, you know, sweeping the floor and sweeping the sidewalk and changing the light bulbs and stuff like that. But down in the basement of this store where they had all the new things coming in, they would have some of the dresses hanging. And, you know, at that age, I wasn't repressing it, but I also was making sure that no one else saw it, putting on the dress down in this basement room that they, they had down there. So I think From a very early age, I knew I had to hide it from other people and not let them know what was going on. But I don't think I ever really hid it for myself. So that's the the dichotomy between the two, I think.
1: Wow. It's so interesting because, Jill, I know you've listened to our podcast and our ex-partners very much hid it from themselves. So it's really interesting to hear, you know, you at such a young age have honored the thoughts and feelings of your true identity. We're all sad that we're still living in a world, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever that is now, 45 years later, (laughs) where people still don't feel like they can say out loud their true self, especially in middle school, you know? (laughs) I'm homeschooling. I'm going going through, through middle school. All that. So lots of questions that Dr. Nikki, listen, to me, Dr. Nikki, Dr. <laughs> Alyssa and I have. You're married. Yes. So were you also as certain about your sexuality as you were about your gender after you went through puberty?
2: Yeah, I never had a question about that. I've always been attracted to girls or women. So that was never an issue for me. And Maybe we want to go into this a little bit later, but it was something that I shared with my future wife 40 years ago before we got married because I wanted her to know that. 40 years ago before I asked my wife to marry me, I told her. Again, I didn't use the word trans because I don't think I knew that even 40 years ago, but telling her that I always thought and wished that I had been female. How did she respond? I was pretty sure that was going to be the end of our relationship because, again, 40 years ago, you know, that was not something that was generally known or accepted. But I had told her that I had no plans to ever become female. And I think with that understanding, she said, OK, we can work with this. And we have worked with it for uh, the 40 plus years that we've been together.
0: How has she handled that? Did she have have a lot of questions for you? Has she had a lot of questions for you over the years? What's been her experience with that?
2: I think it's been a a mix of things. Part of it has been having some questions, but kind of also not talking about it a lot. The shorthand term we came up, we would call the issue. That's how we would discuss it. How are you with the issue? Mm -hmm. So every so often she would ask me, you know, how are you doing with the issue? And I would tell her, and if you could plot this on paper, it would be kind of up and down, you know, there'd be hills and valleys where sometimes it's more intense and other times it was not as intense. So that was one of the ways that we dealt with it. And, you know, occasionally if I came across something that I thought was interesting and wanted her to hear about, I would do that. And again, there's been a lot more information just in the past five years or so, but before that, I would let her know where, where I was at that point in time.
0: So something I don't think we've said yet is that while you have accepted that you are a transgender woman and your wife has accepted that, you have not socially transitioned.
2: No, no, there have been a few things that I've done along the way that are kind of invisible to other people. And I can talk about those if you'd like now, or we can talk about that a little bit later. You know, like I say, uh, I think one of the coping mechanisms that I've used is humor all the time. And this is one of the more humorous things I think about this. Back in the early 1990s, I had to get a new passport because we were uh, going on an, an overseas trip. So the city I was born in is just five or six miles away from where we were living at the time. And I went down to City Hall and the Bureau of Vital Statistics and got a copy of my birth certificate so that I could send that in with the passport application. And I bring the birth certificate back and bring it to the car. And it was a much more detailed birth certificate than the one they give you at the hospital that just has your name and birth date and such. This one has your parents' occupations and all kinds of info. But the most important one was in the box where the gender or sex is typed because they didn't use computers back then was the word female with a capital f so my birth certificate actually says female now i've told that to other people and they say are you sure you're not intersex no i'm definitely not intersex but it was just a typographical error now because of that i was able to change my driver's license so it now has an f as the gender marker on the driver's license so there are things that i have done over time i changed some names on my my credit card, for instance, to reflect the name, which was nice to be able to do something like that. Again, pretty much invisible to anyone, but just kind of it felt good to do that. And then on a, a bigger scale, you know, I have done a low dose of female hormones. So that has mm-hmm. had some effect as well. Nothing, again, that screams out woman, but in terms of and maybe some of this is because, you know, during this pandemic, we've been on Zoom and, and things like that so much. But when I look at the, my face on camera for things like that, it definitely to me looks more feminine than it did back before I started taking the, the, the female hormone. So there have been elements of transitioning without blatantly transitioning socially and presenting as a woman.
1: Is your wife... Like, is there open communication with your wife? Like, does she know that you have started hormones?
2: Yeah, we share most of what this journey has been like and the things that I have done. You know, some things I don't always share everything because sometimes I, I experiment a little just to see if this, you know, how does this feel? Is this going to work? And if I don't feel that it's going to work, then I, I don't necessarily share it. But that is one of the toughest parts, I think, is trying to feel comfortable enough to to sharing this some of these steps with her and not getting her upset with some of the things that I'm doing at the same time
1: I'm going to ask you some tough questions Jill if you're okay with that Sure Is it fair to say as the woman that you are that the reason that you present male still to the world is that based solely on the vows that you took in the marriage commitment that you have?
2: I would say primarily, but I think to a lesser extent, it's because of my age and not sure how well I would present as a female to the world. That also affects that. One of the things I've also been working on is a little bit of voice therapy, but again, different from a typical, if there is such a thing, a typical trans woman who wants to be able to use that voice full-time, I'd like to sort of be able to use it when I want it, on demand, if you will. So that's one of the things that I've, I've been working on as well. So, you know, I think that there are a few reasons, but the biggest one is definitely my marriage. There have been some things that I have done and fairly recently. I bike a lot for exercise. And it used to be that once we got to the end of October, that was it for the bicycle. We put it in the garage and bring it back out in the spring. But now that you know, I, I had this new bicycle, I, I wanted to do it a little bit more. And of course, the hard part is being in a, a cold part of the country, not being too cold while you're out there on the bicycle. So she bought me a pair of lined leggings that I can wear underneath my my jeans. So you know there are mm-hmm. elements of very small elements of cross dressing, mm-hmm. but nothing major and, and nothing that. A person would see if they, they saw me walking down the street. It's, it's hidden underneath. I bought a pair of line tights for the same reason because they also would keep my feet warmer. And what else did I get that was sort of crossing on that a jacket that it's a woman's jacket. I also bought a pair of women's Nike sneakers. They don't look any different really than the men's mm-hmm. sneakers, but it's just sort of the, the psychic knowledge that I'm wearing mm-hmm. women's sneakers that makes me feel just a little bit better. Does it feel enough for you? Is that fulfilling what you need? I would say no. And that's, I think, one of the things that's scary for my wife is taking these little baby steps more and more in that direction. And where is that going to end? I've told her that I don't anticipate transitioning, even if my wife passed away, which meant I was no longer beholden to those vows that I had made to her, I still don't think that I would present as female. I, again, I, you know, being in my mid-60s, I think that's a, a big part of it. The other side of that is, and of course, we can't go back in time, but I'm pretty certain that if I were a young person today, that I definitely would transition. So it's not a fear of transitioning or anything like that. It's just Having 60 plus years experience of, of being a guy, even if it is a lot of it being play acting and a put on, it's something that I know how to do. So that I think plays into it as well.
1: So Jill, I have a question about the hormone replacement therapy and the use that it is for, I don't know if the word like curing is probably not the right word. Dr. Alyssa Help me out here, but like <laughs> helping the dysphoria, like often we I think Jill's probably even better to answer <laughs> <Yes>, that. <definitely. laughs> that's a term here. But like, so taking these hormones and attempt, right, to like lessen, that's probably a good word, lessen the dysphoria, the gender dysphoria. And I was wondering which hormones you are taking.
2: I'm currently taking estradiol. I had had a androgen blocker, but that was causing my potassium levels to spike to dangerous levels. So we stopped doing that. and. What I found with the estradiol is that I think it's had some mild effects in terms of my body shape. I think it's also had some effect on my my emotions that I can tear up much more easily. You know, whether it's it's something involving my family or maybe even just watching a movie that mm-hmm. uh, I'll, I'll get a little more teary eyed certainly uh, than I used to. But I should also say what I'm doing with the the estrogen is I've got the lowest dose available and I'm taking it via a patch. So its effects are muted somewhat from mm-hmm. from someone who does plan to transition. And there have been some changes to my body. But again, nothing that someone would spot if they saw me walking down the street.
1: You mentioned something that my partner, Kaylee, has Said often to me. And that was when you were having the conversations with your wife in the check ins about sometimes the dysphoria would like come in waves or like be greater than other times where it didn't seem to be as bothersome. Dr. Alyssa, and again, I'm not sure if your partners had mentioned that to you either, but the way Kaylee described it to me is that she said it felt like there was a tiny little seed that was planted. And then like, sometimes it was like, would grow into a flower. (laughs) And then other times it was a seed. And then eventually she had to acknowledge because she said it felt like an oak tree. She said what was just seeds and flowers turned into a giant oak tree with a million branches. Those thoughts weren't going to shrink.
0: You're talking about the dysphoria?
1: Dysphoria, yeah. Right. So I was wondering, like for those of our audience that are listening that are that don't have any type of dysphoria. Could you describe a little bit more about what it's like to be a female inside of a male's body and what that feels like to you now, you know, at any stage of your last 60 years?
2: Sure. I've read a little bit more and and heard a little bit more about different people's experiences with dysphoria. I found that there are different ways that people experience it. For me, it's not so much body dysphoria. I don't have a problem seeing myself in the mirror, things like that. But there are elements that do bother me. So for instance, fortunately, I have most of the hair in the front of my head, but there's a big bald spot on the back of my head, which I don't see most of the time. But when I see that, that bothers me. I'd say the biggest one was just those times where you're separated by boys and girls or men and women. And I have to be with the boys or the men, and I really want to be with the girls or the women. I can think of back in grade school, one of the things we did in gym class back then was square dancing. And of course, the boys and the girls were separate. There were a couple of times where they didn't have enough girls, and I got to be a girl in square dancing. So those times are dysphoric to me where I have to be with the boys and I really don't want to. But even as at an older age, you know, when we used to get together before <laughs> covid and you know you'd get together and the guys would end up getting together and and talking about sports and and such and the women would be uh together talking about whatever they're talking about together and it would look a a bit odd although sometimes i would do it hanging with the the girls or the women versus hanging out with the guys the thing that would bother me is being with, having to be with the guys when they're, they're out talking about sports, when I really would prefer to be hanging with the women. That makes
1: so much sense. I have a question about parenthood. My children recently let me know that they have two moms. And I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> News to me. Thought we had me, your mom, and then <laughs> your other parent, KK, you know. So, part of this journey is acceptance and surrender when you're on the other side, too, and, and, and also allowing my children to have their, their own relationship with their parent that has nothing to do with me. And so, I was just wondering what parenthood was like for you. Did you take on the role as dad and father, or with your wife knowing how you felt, was there any
2: blurred? Mine there. When we had our kids in the 80s and early 90s, I think it was already at a time where where men were taking on more of the parenting responsibilities. So I certainly had no problem with changing diapers and doing some of that. I think just by the nature of our jobs at the time, my wife ended up having to do more childcare than I did because it just worked out that way. It wasn't that I was trying to avoid it. But, you know, I was always comfortable in that role. And and I think, again, back in the 80s, it was relatively new, but we were comfortable, both of us doing those things. But I would do things, you know, with my daughters that my wife wasn't comfortable with. We would, for instance, go on an annual trip. I would take one of the girls for an overnight and we'd go on some adventure usually involving a baseball game somewhere, uh, that we would go to a minor league baseball game or something like that. But that was only part of it. We would go see the sites and, and do the touristy things, but it was kind of these off the beaten places like Johnstown, Pennsylvania, because they happened to have a, a minor league baseball team there. We went there and learned all about the flood of Johnstown, Pennsylvania back in the 1800s. So that kind of stuff that, that I would do that I was, was comfortable doing that my wife wouldn't, I don't think have been comfortable. Uh, going on those kind of trips.
1: And you're okay with the term, do they call you
2: dad? Yeah, because I still present as male. And my oldest daughter did ask me and say, would you like us to use female pronouns? And that would, I'm sure, raise more than a few eyebrows.
0: How far out does the knowledge go? So your, your girls know, your wife knows. Is that, is that the extent of it?
2: Well, my daughter's spouses know. None of the, the grandchildren know. The oldest is 10 years old. So I what I've said mm-hmm. to uh, to the parents is you decide when and if you want that to be be shared. I'm not going to push that in any way. One of my closest male friends knows about it, shared it with him, and in turn with his wife. And there's been a few other people. Certainly, all of my medical caregivers know about it. It's a, a relatively small number, I would say. You could probably count it on both hands and feet.
0: <laughs> it's great that you have some people in, in, in the know as far as what, what's, what's true and what's, what's real.
2: And fortunately, and part of this is because of the people that I've chose to, to share it with, they have all been accepting. There's been no negative reaction that I've had. And again, I think some of that is are the times that we live in and the greater knowledge and acceptance but it's also credit to the people that I, I shared this with.
0: Yeah. Are you involved in any kind of LGBTQ kind of groups or, or, or transgender support groups or anything like that?
2: Yeah, there's a few different things that I'm involved with. There's a support group, which again, used to meet in person. And now we're meeting virtually once a month that I've been involved with. And I've done some volunteer work with GLAD, able to do uh, some things there it's a handful of things, but, uh, it is, that does open it up to a a wider world as well. And obviously for my benefit, I get to hear a little bit of other people's experiences. So it's not just me living just in my own head, but hearing what other people are doing and, and what it's like. The one thing that I would say that's different and probably I could even say it's unique for me is I'm the only person that I've come across that is trans, that is still presenting as male and plans to present as male and is mm-hmm. not in the process of transitioning in terms of either medically or appearances.
0: It is unique. <laughs>
2: and it's been different, you know, and, and that's, I, I think that's one of the reasons it's valuable to to share my story is because it gives another perspective that is rarely heard. I've, I've not heard that story from, from others. I've read autobiographies of people who have transitioned and they talk about what their life was like before they transitioned or before they shared it with their spouse. But I don't hear from anybody that that is quite the same story as my own.
0: I think probably all of our, I think this is true, that all of our spouses at one point considered this as an option. I think that's true. I know that's true of Jamie is that she really wanted our marriage to work enough that she really wanted to try to stay in her male body, even though knowing she's a transgender woman, but it was just too strong, I think, of an urge. And I think also recognizing, I mean, she was in her mid-30s. It would be a lot of years to live with this reality and not be able to live the way that felt true to her. Was that true for you guys too, Nikki and, and Heidi, your, your exes as well? No. Kaylee, um, never. Well, I think, um, so Kaylee's,
1: Hers was mostly body dysphoria more than anything else. And so I mean, think if people listen to earlier episodes, the culmination of all of that led to her attempting taking a plan to attempt suicide. That's how strong it was. And so I think as soon as she got to therapy and said it out loud, she knew that she didn't really have a choice. It was either transition and feel better and save her life or die by suicide.
3: My ex also had a plan for suicide and told me that plan, but reached out because I have worked with suicide survivors for many years and knew that I would know what to do next. But she told me and opposite of Alyssa, she couldn't stay as a male and finish out our marriage because she felt she was getting too old to just live the way that she wanted. So she felt like she was running out of time. And so she, you know, and it was very much either I'm doing this or I'm going to die because I don't want to, I mean, the dysphoria was over the top and the guilt and the shame and knowing that we weren't going to stay together if she did. I mean, it was just a lot of Things And actually, when you said that you and your wife have your up and down moments, I immediately got activated and couldn't breathe. <laughs> and I got real quiet because I was like, I remember that where you're just living for like a month or two. And it, this is just the life that you've always lived. And it's very even. And this is how it's always been. And then there's a spike in the dysphoria and everything combusts into everybody's upset. The whole thing is upset. He's upset. I'm upset. We have to make like these hard decisions and then it calms down again. And then we're, and that's why we stayed married for two more years is because of that up and down. But yeah, it definitely, I remembered it when you said it. <laughs> and I was like, gotta breathe. <laughs> Cause I remember it was hard. It was hard.
2: And sorry for triggering that. No, I mean,
3: those are just the things that you don't know are going to creep up on you. And that's, you know, I didn't know that would creep up because I hadn't thought about it in a long time. So to know that you, someone else has gone through those things too, it's just a reminder of where you've been and where you're at.
2: And for me, I, I should point out, you know, while I've certainly been depressed at times about this, thank goodness I've never felt. That I wanted to harm myself. And that is the one thing that I have told my wife. I said, if I ever do get to that point, then I will transition. I don't have any plans to transition, but I have said that if, if it ever came down to my life or transitioning, then I would transition that that would would make the decision for me. But fortunately, up to this point, that's not been necessary.
1: Well, now that you know almost everything about us, let's hang out on social. On Insta, you can find us on Thanks, It's the Trauma podcast. Everywhere else, including our website, just Thanks, It's the Trauma. And if you have any questions or want to email us, we would love to get back to you. Thanks, It's the Trauma podcast at gmail.com. It's just quite fascinating, I think, to the three of us. To hear your story, and it gives us a glimpse, maybe, into some of the feelings and thoughts that our partners may or may not have had that could have been similar that we aren't privy to. So I think it's, you know, really wonderful to be having this conversation with you, Jill. And then also, just maybe for you to hear from us too on maybe some of the thoughts and things that your wife might have felt or so through the years. I'm not sure. You had written into us because you had said if your partners could have done anything different in sharing with you about their truth. And so we really appreciated that question. And I wanted to see, are there any other questions that you have lingering? You've listened to the podcast, like you have an open audience for us too. And I definitely want to give you the other perspective of where some of your loved ones may be. If Dr. Alyssa or Nikki and I can answer any questions that you have.
2: I think one of the biggest things that I've tried to learn, and one of the reasons I was attracted to your podcast in the first place is because I do want to hear the spouse's reaction and and what was difficult for you and what did you learn? And like I I asked in that question, if you could do things differently, what might you do differently? So you're at the point where you're all separated, divorced from from your former spouses. Is there let me put it this way is there anything that could have happened where you might have stayed together? Was it anything short of them not transitioning that perhaps might have kept you together had it been handled differently?
0: I think that's a great question. I do think if Jamie hadn't physically transitioned, that probably includes estrogen because, and she shares this on her public Facebook, so I feel like it's okay for me to say she has breasts because of estrogen. And, you know, I think it just changed things. Like she, she changed, she changed into a woman. I mean, really and truly like she, she looks like a woman. And so I, I think probably she, she would have had to not transition. And I, again, I don't think that would have been, that's not a realistic ask. It it wasn't in my, uh, in my eyes, but I, I could, I think I could have lived with knowing that she was a trans woman if she felt comfortable not transitioning. But that, that, again, that felt like way too big of an ask of another human. I think I feel the same way as Dr. Alyssa.
1: I mean, we're still married and we're still kind of living together. She's in the guest house. But I mean, we're still trying to figure this thing out. But I think what I want to honor with that question, though, is that like, I loved her so much that like it just wasn't an option to like allow her to not transition. Like I loved her so much. I needed her to be the best, truest, most beautiful version of herself because we had children and they deserved yeah. That young children, I should say, young children, and they deserved that out of their parent. And you can't unknow, right? Like, but if it had been her choice, like if she had said, I love my male body and I love my female spirit. And if you could honor my female spirit in these ways, for sure, I could have stayed married if it was more of like a, kind of a two-spirit type of thing, but her dysphoria was mostly around her body because she needed to change her body. That meant that the physical part of our marriage was going to, to end, so.
3: Me asking for her to not be who she wanted or was authentically was a big ask, like Alyssa said her asking me to stay in a relationship that was then going to become a lesbian relationship was also a big ask. So there were two big things being asked that neither one of us wanted to budge on and we weren't going to get our way. And it was painful. And it's painful to think about that we, we had set rigid boundaries with that and um, it was a hard no. For both of us. And it was painful because we would have stayed married. Our marriage wasn't perfect. I mean, I feel like somewhere along the way, I was not in love like Heidi is or was with her person. And I wasn't just seven or eight years into my marriage like Alyssa. I mean, we were in 23 years deep and a lot had happened. And you have moments of being truly in love and moments where you're not. So in love, and we changed as people. And this was just the biggest one that I was like, Yeah, I can't do it anymore. And I mean, along the way, there was always things, big life decisions that he then wanted to do, and I would go along with. And this wasn't, an, I couldn't do this one. So, yeah, it was, it was painful. But would I do anything different? No, because she is happily married. And I am happily single (laughs) (laughs) and independent and I love my life and we are fine. We totally get along. We've had great conversations. We can sit in a car ride together and have good, deep, sweet, compassionate conversations now, whereas before I couldn't even look at her when she was just getting on estrogen and, and estradiol and the mood swings. And yeah, that was a lot. So it was better we weren't together then.
2: And again, I, I thank the three of you because of, of your openness and sharing your stories. I have had my wife listen into some of the episodes. I kind of pick and choose which ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> They're not, not fair, fair, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, to, to hear your perspectives, I think, is wonderful. Again, because I know of no other place where, where that's really available. So to, to, to hear what the three of you have experienced and, and how you're continuing to experience because this is your co-parents. So that relationship is going to continue even beyond the marriage. And I think again, just learning from from your three experiences has been has been great.
1: Well, we are so thankful that you have joined us.
2: Again, thank you so much for for giving me this opportunity. And, you know, I like I say, I'm I'm honored to be your first trans guest on, on the show. And I think I mentioned to forget whether it was Heidi or Nikki, uh, Nikki is, who runs the show. Oh, okay. Nikki, <laughs> uh, in terms of, uh, you know, this is the first time I've, I've talked about this publicly. So it kind of a big moment for me. Bravo.
1: bravo! <laughs> We're so proud of you. Okay. Yes. Let's end on a really fun note. Jill, what is your favorite part about being a woman?
2: Who. This may sound strange, but one of the things that I get the biggest kick out of is and this was on that episode, the, I guess the first episode of season 2, just being referred to as as a woman where you talked about we got this this question and and she wants to know and and just hearing myself referred to as she and her, that's one of the the, the one, you know, a wonderful thing. I think if I did transition one of the things that i would probably both you know i'm looking at this from a man's perspective you probably would have a totally different feeling (laughs) since you have to have lived with it all your lives but hair would be would be something that i would be very enjoy very much i think back to when i was growing up in high school in the 70s and you know guys were were having relatively long hair but we didn't really do too much with it not till
3: the 80s (laughs)
2: <laughs> and by then <laughs> by then I was already married so <laughs> it was a lost cause at that point but uh, you know th- I think that would be something that, that that I would enjoy obviously clothing not from the sense of just wearing women's clothing but being seen as a woman it goes back to that that thing that I said that seems so minor just having you refer to me as she and her when you're talking about that question it's being seen as a female. And that would be something that I've thought about all of my life.
0: It makes me a little bit, it makes me a little bit sad. Like I've, i felt myself getting a little bit teary here and there because I just think about like, it's just, it's not really fair that you haven't had the opportunity, especially since being such a little kid. Like if, if this had been something that were talked about and was open at that time, if this were today, and you were this four-year-old, you know, I think like this, I mean, it still wouldn't be perfect because our world is, is, is still learning, but it just makes me a little bit sad because I feel like you've unfortunately lost so much of yourself in your, your life.
2: You know, I think of that sometimes, but what I also get comforted by is if, if I had transitioned when I was a little kid or a teenager, I wouldn't have had my three daughters, I wouldn't have had mm-hmm. my grandchildren, I wouldn't have had my wife. And those have Mm -hmm. all been wonderful gifts that make up for what I've lost in terms of being able to experience my, my true self. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, there are pluses and there are minuses, but they kind of even each other out when I I look Mm -hmm. at it that way.
1: That is so beautifully said. I mean, Mm -hmm. just so wonder. It's like, it's like brutally hard and, you know, and so beautiful, but. Jill, we just want to let you know, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, Nikki and Alyssa are in Nashville. We see you as she, we honor you as she, we think you're a beautiful woman. We appreciate your story. And if you're ever in Charlotte and Nashville and you want to be seen, then just come hang out with us and we'll have a great girls night.
2: I would love that. I have a a sister who lives in North Carolina. So uh, maybe I'll, I'll, you know, after all this uh, COVID stuff is finished, I'll have a chance to get down there and we can get together.
0: Well, Dr. Alyssa and
1: I are vaccinated. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm still waiting. I'm, uh, I'm one year short of uh, being eligible here.
3: Well, get Nikki's to on a list. Yeah. I'm on a list. Yep. I missed the first round for healthcare workers.
1: We just appreciate you so much. What a wonderful opportunity for Dr. Alyssa and Nikki and I tonight, and we wish you the very best.
2: Well, thank you again, Heidi, uh, Dr. Alyssa and Nikki. I I really have enjoyed, enjoyed this so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you. You guys, thank you so much for listening to this bonus episode with Jill. It was an incredible pleasure to hear from Jill and to have her unfold this life story for us. I hope everyone enjoyed it. At the end of season two, we also want to thank all of our listeners for sticking with us for season one and season two, following us on Instagram at Thanks It's the Trauma Podcast and being such loyal listeners. In fact, Nikki and Alyssa and I are celebrating that we just achieved a major milestone of 10,000 listens to the podcast. And that's each of you. So we have a little call to action. Do you want season three? Do you want to hear from others who have experienced trauma? This podcast can become anything. And so we would like your input. Right now, if you could push pause and just head over to Instagram at Thanks It's the Trauma Podcast, drop us a DM And let us know what you think about the podcast if you want a season three. And if so, how can we serve you with amazing content? What would be entertaining for you? What would you be curious to learn about and to hear and to listen through storytelling? We are so excited for all those DMs to come in. We cannot wait to hear from you. So thank you for sending us a message. Thanks for following us on Instagram. And we're gonna close out season two with a round of applause to our podcast engineer, Rob Ingalls of Law Pods. He's done an incredible job. So thank you, Rob. If you are interested in podcast engineering, you can find Rob at lawpods.com.
3: Thanks, It's the Trauma podcast is not a substitute for therapy or mental health advice. If you or someone you love is in crisis, please call 1-800-273-TALK, 1-800-273-8255. You can also text the word HOME to 741741 to reach a trained
0: crisis counselor. You're so wise. Thanks, It's the Trauma.